Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 242 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the former junior middleweight IBF world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Carlos Molina. Carlos, thanks for thanks for doing this show with me. How are you, my friend? Hey, what's up, Joey? I am good. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. Always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Like I say, we've done we've done a few interviews in the past over the years, and this one is going to probably be more of a chat, really, than an interview. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, you're known for your boxing, but nowadays you've got one foot in the promotional side of the of the sport. Um, you've you've put on a few shows now. How many shows you put on now, by the way, Carlos? Obviously, all being in Mexico. I have uh, six shows now, and this will be my seventh uh, this weekend. Okay, excellent. So again, you know, as boxing fans, not just in Mexico, not just in the UK, not just in the States, we've been starved of, of um, you know, of, of, of sport in action, really, not just boxing. Every single sport has been, it's been a terrible fan, uh, a terrible time, I should say, to be a fan at home with nothing to watch. But, you know, we've been desperate to see the return of boxing. I think there was one show in Nicaragua that was, you know, it was an okay show. No real names on the show or anything like that. But this is going to be one of the uh, the first cards, if not the first card, where we're going to, you know, have names on the show that we've heard of, namely yourself. You're not just promoting the show, you're also fighting on it. Um, tell me about the card itself, Carlos. Yes, uh, we have five fights, and um, I'm going to be fighting uh, a 10 round against Michi Munoz. And the co-main event, we had an exciting fight also with uh, Alejandro Davila, Pajaro Davila, against uh, Nestor uh, Garcia, the Chispas. And um, we have uh, another two A-round fights, undefeated prospect. He's only 18 years old, and he's been professional since the age of 16. And uh, we got another prospect that's uh, making his pro debut also. Okay, excellent. So it's a five-fight card. Um, I know, you know, because I've been speaking to you and stuff like that through pretty much most of the planning of this event, so I know, you know, more than more than people that are listening right now, but just bring them up to speed on how difficult it's actually been to stage an event in Mexico. I know you've been through <laughs> lots and lots of stress trying to get it on. There's been lots and lots of um, hoops you've had to jump through. How difficult has it been to get this particular event to actually take place Carlos it's been very difficult because I, I thought about this like as soon as like this uh, coronavirus hit and uh, I was trying to figure out how I could do a show and then I decided a closed door event with no crowd and uh, we'll televise it and be be able to see it everywhere and initially I got the permissions here in my hometown of Pascuaro Michoacan and then uh, they got infected here, and it wasn't even in the town. It was, like, in the outskirts of it, and uh, they 
take the permissions away because the government was, you know, was, uh, I guess, um, breathing down their neck about it. Like, why are you going to stage an event when the, when this virus is going on? So I had to go and uh, figure out another venue. And uh, I hurried up and that's what I did. So you initially wanted it to take place in one venue. You've had to move the venue. It's just one time you've had to move it though, right? Well, yeah, just one, but it was hard to get a different venue because everybody, you know, everybody's dealing with the same thing. And But I was explaining to them, everybody loved the idea about, you know, we're going to do a testing. Uh, we're going to have um, no crowd. We're going to have just the boxers, the TV production crew, and the boxing commission. That's it. Not nobody else. And uh, the boxers get to go on the, the event with just one cornerman, and um, that's what we're doing, the, the, the least amount of people in the event. And obviously you mentioned there about the testing and stuff like that. We know in the UFC they've, you know, they've, they've had a few events now. It's, it's been good for, for fight fans in general. Um, how is the testing going to work? Explain to me the process of how everyone's going to be safe in that venue um, in terms of you know, not, not being able to catch this virus. Yes, we're going to test anybody that's close to the ring you know, from the boxers to the team, to anybody that's close to the ring. The only one that's not going to be tested, obviously, people that are like the production. They're going to they're gonna go in there and set up uh, before. It's like the TV crew. They're going to be separated apart. Everybody's going to have their masks and everything. But the fighters and everybody else are going to be in the ring, the announcer, the, you know, everything else that is going to get tested, make sure that it, it's, that the coronavirus is not in there. Okay. The venue at all. Excellent, excellent. And um, so you know, you you mentioned that that is that you know you initially wanted the fight to take place in in your hometown, pretty much um, in, in Michoacan. Is it still in Michoacan, the location here? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. And um, yeah, we, we we talked about the fight card. Obviously, there was I think um, unsurety at, at the start when when you had this idea to put this show on of of which platform it was going to be on. Just explain to our listeners where can they see this fight? Um, you know, f- from a UK standpoint, from a worldwide standpoint, where can you view this action? Well, that's the cool thing about it because this is uh, worldwide. We can all get it as long as you have a Facebook. It's going to be on Facebook, and um, we're going to have a a great production team that I got, a professional team that I got from Mexico City, and they're going to have five cameras. We're going to have uh, boxing commentators in Spanish, so. And um, it's going to be on uh, Fight Night Live Facebook and King Carlos Molina. That's my page. And it's only going to be five U.S. dollars, which is, you know, for, for five fights, I think it's a good deal. You know, pretty much a dollar a fight. And um, that's the plan. Okay, so five US dollars. Obviously, the people listening over here, that is less than five pounds, of course. Um, so it's it's Saturday night. It's this Saturday night, Carlos. Um, what time is it? Obviously, we know that in Mexico, I believe you're six hours behind the UK um, time. So it's going to be, I'm guessing, early hours over here. But you know, we're definitely going to stay up to watch it for sure. There's there's, there's nothing else to. Uh, to, 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 to you know to to watch on a Saturday anyway at the minute um yeah what what kind of time is it it's uh seven central time okay so that's seven your time right yeah seven my time seven your time so that'll be one be around one o'clock over there by you yeah, one at one a m okay and that's when the the undercard starts I'm guessing of course 
Yeah, that's the first fight. The first fight goes live at uh, 7 p.m. Excellent. Central time. And all five fights will be televised, shown, broadcasted. Yes. Excellent, man. Excellent. Um, yeah, our first, or our sole guest, I should say, on this week's show that I'll be speaking to in in a few moments' time. The sole guest on this week's show will be um, former junior middleweight world champion Bronco McCart. He's actually boxed Michi Munoz, your your opponent for Saturday night. Um, so that's interesting. That's a, that's a great coincidence on this week's show in particular. Um, just about your opponent. Um, Carlos, for those that don't know, Michi Munoz is a guy that um, you know has a lot of experience, really. Um, tougher than, I guess, his record suggests. He's been in there with a few good fighters. Hasn't always come out with the victory, but it's a tough fight. It's a, Like I say, he's been in there with Bronco McCart. He's, he's really mixed it. He's been in there with Carson Jones, um, Vainez Martirosian. He's quite experienced. Yes, that's why we need to get somebody like that for this event. And I uh, actually had a hard time getting an opponent for me right now because a lot of gyms in the bigger cities here are closed. And um, that was kind of a difficult thing, and I couldn't get a fighter from the United States because of the traveling. So, so initially, I also had a uh, fighter, three fighters from the U.S. fighting on the card. But, you know, just for, uh, for you know, health reasons and everything, uh, we made it a full Mexican card. Okay. Okay, cool. And um, just once again, for for, for those that um, that that need to hear it once again, on Facebook you can get it on what what's the pages once again, Carlos? It's called Fight Night Live. Fight Night Live. And is that F I F I G H T or is it F I T E? No, it's the regular fight. F I G H T. Fight Night Live. Okay. Or King Carlos Molina. I mean, I'll take you to the same same broadcast. Either one will work, and it's the same thing, 5 USD. Excellent. All right, Carlos, if you want to add anything at all, um, you know, if I haven't asked you anything that you want to get across at all before uh, before before we let you go, before I bring in the sole guest on this week's show, um, if you've got anything you want to say at all, like I say, now's the time if I've, if I've missed anything. Um, yeah, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I guess what I wanted to say was pretty much that, I mean, apart from, you know, doing the the only show live boxing event in the world, you know, I feel like, um, you know, people are hurting right now, you know, like nobody could work and nothing like that. So I feel like at the same time, like these boxers were eager to fight and eager to get in the ring uh, just to get paid, just just work, to have a job from the, from the boxers to, you know, even the promoter, me, I ain't got nothing else to do. So this is what I'm doing. So I'm going to do both. I'm going to be boxing, promoting, and you know the from the production team from from everything from the hotel the food everything is just i think it's a good thing uh just to get reactivated again yeah and like i say anyone that is listening 1am uk time obviously in the states uh, depending on where you are if you're on eastern time and stuff like that it should be a reasonable kind of time um what time is the main event expected in the ring carlos what time will you be in the ring roughly Maybe like 10 o'clock my time, yeah? 10 o'clock, okay. So, yeah, it could be quite a late night for us in the UK, but that is no problem with me. I'm sure a lot of diehard boxing fans will have no problem with that whatsoever. Okay, Carlos, like I say, thanks for your time. Thanks for giving us um, you know, a piece of your time there. I know it's real busy for you, not just fight week, also promotion week and stuff like that, so I appreciate your time. And um, 
obviously thank you as well just for putting on some you know some kind of event for us to all watch like i say we've all been starved of boxing action um thanks for giving us this piece of time carlos and we'll speak again real soon i'm sure uh thanks thanks so much for taking your time um interview me and um well uh maybe one of these i'll be back on the show again may after the fight if you got time <laughs> Absolutely. We we certainly will do that, I'm sure, Carlos. Thank you. Um, just before we bring in our sole guest, I'm just going to run down um, the couple pieces of news that we have. There has been some boxing news this week, which has been um, it's been great, actually, because we haven't really had that um, over the last few weeks and stuff like that. But Shakur Stevenson will be boxing Felix Caraballo, a guy with a record of 13-1 and with two draws, a Puerto Rican fighter. That one to take place at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas on on June the 9th, also on that undercard, we get to see the undefeated Italian heavyweight Guido Vianello. Um, he's back. Also, Rabisi Ramirez, the the, the Cuban um, Olympic gold medalist, and Michaela Mayer will also be on the on the bill there. So that's quite a good card there for June the 9th. And also, um, Jesse Magdaleno, he returns to action as well. His fight card, um, the bill that he tops, will be taking place on the 11th of of June, that's a Thursday evening at the MGM Grand um, not a great undercard to be honest but the main event, 27-1 Magdaleno takes on Yenefel Vicente 36-4 with two draws, um, so that could be interesting, he's, he's quite a big puncher Vicente, uh, Magdaleno obviously that one lost to Isaac Dogbay so that is the news uh, I don't think there's anything else really to mention um, at the moment, like I say it's all been pretty slow, um, so that's everything from me, that's all the talking, the the final thing to do before we wrap everything up is to bring in an in-depth interview here with the former junior middleweight world champion, Mr. Bronco McCart. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO junior middleweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Bronco McCart. Bronco, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Bronco, it truly is. So I want to start this interview, as I do many others similar to this. Um, what's your earliest memory, Bronco, of ever, you know, first putting gloves on? <laughs> Just had this conversation yesterday with uh, my dad, actually. One time I was at a fight show, my dad was uh, coaching some amateur fighters. I was like nine years old, and they needed a fill-in fight. And uh, I'm over there eating popcorn, hot dogs. And my dad comes up and says, hey, they need a fill-in fight. You want to fight? And I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll fight. So we glove up, and I go in there and fight. And they, there's a picture of me out there somewhere, and it's in my family because I used to get teased about it all the time. I threw an uppercut and hit the guy on his knee. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's like my earliest memory of, of boxing right there. <laughs> No, that's amazing. I, I love asking that question because there's so many crazy responses to it. Um, oh, I'm sure. So, so Bronco, obviously, you know, if we, we, we'll start, we'll go into your pro career. Obviously, you made your debut on July 21st, 1992 on the undercard of Tim Witherspoon against Everett Martin in Michigan. Um, you boxed a guy who was 1-0 by the name of Bruce Anderson. Do you remember much about your debut, Bronco? I do. I do. Um, I mean, like, I, I can tell you, I remember when they, when they called me and I was walking out of the tunnel and so many people from my home city, hometown showed up that night for my pro debut. When they, when they said my name and the crowd roared, I like went numb. I mean, it was almost like it was surreal. Right. And then I remember getting hit at one point in the fight. I remember getting hit. I think the fight went one or two rounds 
And I remember getting hit with a really good shot. And that's really all I remember about the fight. I won the fight. I stopped him, I think. But I don't, I just remember the roar of the crowd. I remember getting hit with one good punch. And that's really all I can remember about that fight. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, you, you're right. You know, you stop him in, in just one round, obviously, your pro debut there. Okay, um, okay. Seven months yeah. later, I mean, by that point, you were you were 7-0. and You boxed at the Caesars Palace in Las Vegas on the uh, Barclay Tony undercard. You faced a fellow undefeated fighter by the name of Clayton Williams. Only a four-round contest. Now, I believe you were winning the fight until that fourth and final round where you were down twice, and that kind of cost you the fight, really. Um, tell us about that night. Well, um, I tell you what, for, for me, it was like uh, it was like shock being out in Vegas. I mean, I saw Bruce Willis and Demi Moore, Jack Nicholas and Montel uh, Williams. Magic. I mean, I've seen all these people, you know, and I'd barely been out of Monroe at that point in my life, and I was kind of like shell-shocked. And... But but the fight itself, um, two 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 things happened. One in the fight and one after the fight that really were were defining moments for me. Um, in the gym, my dad kept telling me, Bronco, you're making a bad move, and if you don't watch it, you're going to get hit with a left hook, and it's going to cost you. And in that fight, that's the exact same punch I got knocked down with twice off the move that my dad had told me about in the gym, and I made it anyways. Well, you know, I got knocked down and. And lost the fight, and uh, you can't you can't get knocked down twice in a four round fight and hardly win. So, I, I um I was back in the locker room though. I remember, and I was really upset, had my head down on the table. I was I was crying, and I got this big pat on my back, and I looked up, and it was George Foreman. Wow. He said, he said, hey son, let me tell you something. He said, I watched your fight. He says, and you've got one thing you can't teach guys: you have a heart. He said, someday, the way you climbed up off that floor and came back fighting, someday, son, you will be world champion. And I was like, man, I got up and said, Mr. Foreman, coming from you, that means the world to me. Thank you. Shook his hand and then uh, went back home and just went on a mission. Wow. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. That, that, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Like I said, mm-hmm. I love to hear things like this. Um, let's fast forward to, to June 2nd on, on a Friday night in 1995 at the Foxwoods Resort in Connecticut. Obviously, you defend your WBC international title against former world champion Aaron Davis. Now, it was a split decision mm-hmm. over 12 rounds. At that point, though, um, that surely must have been your biggest win. That was a great win looking back. Tell us about that one, Bronco. Oh, absolutely. It was, that fight was an absolute war. And the funniest thing about it, going into that fight, I don't think I'd ever been past six rounds in my career. And that Dan Davis had been, you know, world champion. But my, I was young and I was hungry and training hard. And, and, and my fight plan, come to find out, was the same as his. Is I said, we're going to grind it out for six rounds. And then from the sixth round forward, I'm going to press the pace so hard, I'm going to break him down. Well, he thought the same about me. And we just pressed that fight from one through 12 and it was an action-packed fight um he actually uh broke my eardrum in that fight i ended up getting 11 stitches over my eye uh it was it was it was a tough fight but that was the fight right then and there i mean i had beat some some good fighters some some uh good contenders some good amateur guys uh like skipper kelp that was really good in the amateurs and a few other guys on the way up but when i beat aaron davis that's when everybody realized um i was real and that i, I was ready for that next step and I, and I knew it, too, after I beat Aaron Davis. And it was a great fight. It was one of the fights, I think, that, 
that year in the ring magazine made like honorable mention fight of the year. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a war for sure. Yeah. I watched it back the other day. It certainly was, um, you know, the, the, the year 1995, you saw it out with another two wins, both by a knockout within two rounds over Wendell Hall and Javier Mendez. Now we roll into 1996, March the 1st is the date at the fantasy Springs casino in Indio, California, your opponent, the former three time world title challenger, Santos Cardona. Um, the bout of course for the vacant WBO world junior middleweight title. Tell us about the night your boxing dreams came true, Bronco. Oh man, you know, it was, so for me, that fight, uh, my, my grandfather, grandpa Smith, um, he was, uh, you know, he was a really big supporter of mine. He he would come to my fights in Michigan all the time. And he did be at my fights and have to take, uh, two or three, uh, I can't think of the name of the pills, but it's for heart to, to get your heart, your blood flowing, opens your body up. I can't think of what they're called, but he would get so excited that he would have to, he would have to take those pills. And I told him one day, I said, grandpa, listen, I don't, don't come to my fights. You just stay home. And after the fights, I'll call you and I'll let you know what went on, you know? So, um, he was in the hospital uh, around the Aaron Davis fight all during that time. He got really sick. And so, he didn't get to he didn't get to see me win the world championship, but I, I told him in the hospital before he passed away. I said, Grandpa, I'm gonna I'm gonna win that world championship for you, and I'm gonna bring that belt back. I'm gonna put it on your headstone, man. You're gonna see it, and even if you're not here. You're gonna see it, you know. So we bought a ringside seat for him there. Uh, put he always wore a floppy hat. We had a floppy hat there. We had a picture of him there, uh, and the chair, and then. Uh, I had a seven shirts made up for training and it was a picture with me sitting on his lap with my arm around him. And it just said for you underneath it. So I said four dash you. I worked out in those shirts every day and I put it on in the ring after I won the world title. I was so happy to keep that promise to him. That was the biggest, that was the, for me, there was no fight in my career that meant as much as that fight right there. And when we came back to Michigan, uh, me and my two uncles, first thing we did is we went out to the grave site took that belt out there, laid it on his, on his uh, headstone and just told some great funny times that we had all different times that we had had with him and just spent about half hour to an hour out there just reminiscing. And, and I kept my promise. So that, that, that fight meant, meant the world to me. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful, man. That really is. I mean, that, that obviously was a massive motivation for you. Obviously a very sad event, of course, but that, that definitely seemed mm-hmm. to give you the oh. hunger for sure. Huge, and you know, you like when I say my mind was so focused. When we got to California, <laughs> my luggage got lost. So I'm out there every day, and I'm working out in the same clothes, taking back to my hotel, washing, hanging out, hang them out on my balcony, let them dry out. I have to wear them to lounge around. I had to do this for like three days, and then it was Jackie, uh, my manager, Jackie Cowns, like, listen, we're gonna have to. We're going to have to drive to L.A. I'm going to have to get you trunks and shoes. And, but I, I, I didn't care. I wasn't deterred. I would not I would not lose my focus. And then, um, you know, finally all my stuff made it. But it was just kind of like that's the kind of stuff that can set you off in a whole different direction if you let it. 
absolutely without a doubt we've seen we've seen things like that happen many many times um i know it you know obviously goes down as your favorite night in boxing because you won the world title and all the all the backstory but just looking at the fight itself for a second in your performance i mean you stopped this guy in nine rounds santos cardona like i said had boxed three times previously for world titles losing to pernell whitaker once and two losses to verno phillips um they didn't stop him you did again this this was an amazing win you know the fight itself as well to stop him like that mm-hmm. yeah i mean i so so i kept i kept trying this move i was actually circling the wrong way but i was doing it you know as a southpaw fighting the right-hander i should have been circling to my right but i was going to my left a lot because i was trying to time him off of his right hand make him miss just enough you know to catch him and i finally caught him with a shot and uh even al bernstein i believe asked me after the fight you know he, thinking I started slow, but it, it, it was, it was a plan. It was something that we saw and uh, it was something I wanted to do and, and it worked out for me. I, I caught him with some clean shots. He was tough because I hit him. I mean, that one, the eighth round, I unloaded about everything I had on him and, and he, he made it to the corner on his feet, which impressed me, but you know, and then, uh, you know, stopped him the next round and, and it was just a great, it was just a great emotional moment for me. Yes. Yeah, Santos Cardona, um, you know, he had four world title shots in in five fights, you know, during that time. Which I'm not sure if he had the best manager in the world for keeping keeping him getting these big <laughs> these big fights, or the worst manager because he kept losing the fights. But you know, it, it, it is what it is. He, he did one or the other, <laughs> one or the other. Um, he he did actually go on to challenge for a world title again for the fifth time, but he lost that one as well. But all the best to him. Um, however, Bron- Bronco, obviously your world title reign would be a short one. You lost it in your first defense just 11 weeks later against Ronald Winky Wright. It was a split decision, though, over 12. Tell us about that one there. Uh, you know, I, I honestly, in my heart to this day, I thought I won that fight, that first fight with uh, Winky Wright. Um, I think what disturbed me the most about the decision was, you know, in, in negotiations, you know, that your side negotiates a judge that they want, and their side negotiates a judge that they want, and then you bring in a neutral judge, you know. So, of the three judges, you know, the judge that he, their, his side negotiated went his way. The judge that I negotiated went his way, and the neutral judge went my way. You know, the Michigan judge went against me in that fight, which is the most disturbing thing. That It's just a pill that I've never been able to really wholly swallow. But at the end of the day, um, Winky Wright, class act uh, i have i have a friendship with him we just we just talked about a week and a half ago checking on him make sure health is good and everything with this cold and, and all that and uh, we just talked and laughed and a couple of years ago i went down and played golf with him in florida and you know we stay in touch we fought three times you definitely develop a, a friendship and camaraderie or something like that and and he went on to have an absolutely wonderful career and you know the only bad thing about my career was that me and him were together in the same time in the same era because I think, man, if he wasn't there, it'd have been a clear path for me for a number of years. I think just to mop out the whole junior middleweight division. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, after after that first that first fight with Winky Wright, obviously you bounced back with a string of wins. During those wins, you also boxed at the famous Blue Horizon in Philadelphia, one of the real historic boxing venues in the states. Um, what was it like to to box there, Bronco? Oh, it was it was everything it was cracked up to be. I mean, it was just the atmosphere, the crowd, the the hype, uh, the intimacy of the building, um, everything about it. It was great. Being able to fight at the Blue Horizon, um, I, I got to do that a couple times in my career. I mean, it was 
it was it was wonderful for me. You know, to say that you know you fought at the Blue Horizon, you fought at Caesar's Palace, you fought at Madison Square Garden. You know, you've been around and fought at all the mecca. I mean, to me, it's I'm just a, a guy from a small city in Monroe, Michigan, who who lived a dream almost bigger than I could have even dreamed. You know, it's it's been it was a great ride for me. And as as I said, you went on this this um you know this this run this undefeated run after that after that loss. Um, but during that time, that's when you obviously um linked up managerially with Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, what was that like? Obviously, him being in your corner. You know, I tell you what, Sugar Ray Leonard is probably one of the most honest, uh, genuine, just real people you know that I've ever been around. He he was he was a class act. I you know I didn't know if when I got to meet Ray Leonard, if he was going to be, um, you know, one way for the camera and one way in real life. But I had nothing but love, respect, and admiration for that guy. Treated me uh, very well. Uh, I just think the timing of everything was uh, just wasn't, you know, the, the mixture and the timing just wasn't right at that time. But we had a couple fights together. Uh, I won those fights. Um, we, he actually, I will say this, he had actually negotiated a fight, and the deal was done with uh, Fernando Vargas. Um, and then uh, during that period, Dino Duva had went into rehab. And when he went into rehab, Shelly Finkel stepped in and killed that fight. He didn't want the fight. So, but Ray, that was the fight that I wanted. Ray Leonard went to work. Him and his people got the fight for me. We had the contract. We agreed upon terms and everything. And then outside things happened and, and the fight never took place. Oh, that's a great shame. But like I say, it's fantastic, you know, for you to have been able to work with a guy like that who's made that impact oh, in boxing. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned again, you know, you went on this 14 fight win streak, including nine wins by KO before that rematch against Winky Wright came around. By this point, of course, Wright had, had lost the title. So when you boxed him, it was for the NABF and USBA titles. It was also an eliminator for the IBF world title. The fight took place at the Mountaineer Casino Racetrack and Resort in West Virginia. Um, September 9th, 2000, the fight ended with a unanimous decision, though, this time. Um, just tell us about that one. I'll tell you what, of, of the three fights that we fought, that, that, that was, he, he was, that was the best fight for him personally. I mean, I mean, the third fight, you know, ended how it ended, but the second fight, Winky Box, beautiful. He was sharp, man. I just, I, he was, he was sharper. He was the sharpest he had been in, in the, of the three fights that we had. Uh, he, he fought really well I and mean, he was just had, a, he had a great night that night. He just outboxed me. There's nothing to even, I can't even say anything about it. There's no, not going to try to make any anything except that he boxed wonderful that night and he outboxed me. Yeah, and you know, again, you bounce back with another three wins, going the distance in each fight, though, um, including a win over eventual world title challenger um, Michael Lerma before having that third that third fight with with Winky Wright, the trilogy fight, almost two years to the day since the second fight, September the seventh at the Rose Garden in Portland, Oregon. Um, obviously for Wright's IBF junior middleweight world title this time. Um, again, I rewatched it the other day. Um, a strange kind of ending, really. There was a number of points deducted on your side. Just talk us through that night. Obviously, it seemed to be quite a frustrating one in the end. Oh, it was. Um, I mean, you know, I, I hit right low with some low blows. I, some of those blows, I don't think, I don't think were as low as I don't think they were like a point deduction low blows. You know, maybe one or two of them was. I, I would personally have to rewatch it again, but. Um, it, it was just, it was frustrating because I felt like, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody that, 
has ever known, right? He wears his trunks high, and he's got those extra long arms, really. When he sets his arms down, they're on they're almost past his waistband. I mean, that's his defense. That's how he does his defense. He locks up and, and I, I hit him with some body shots and, and, uh, or blow blows. I mean, and I think they end up taking about five points from me or something yeah. crazy. Supposed to, supposed to end it after three. I, I was so far down at that point. It didn't even matter. I might as well just kick them. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? You're five point. You've got five points taken from you. There's, it's it's that's ball game. I mean, and he's probably one of the, he'd be probably the hardest guy in the whole boxing business in that weight class. Not like you're gonna knock him out. I mean, it was you just it was we were done. So, but I guess the best memory of memorable moment of that fight out there was getting on the elevator and George Foreman getting off. And I said, hey man, I or he said, hey Bronco, how are you? I said, oh man, Mr. Foreman. He said, man, call me George. I said. I was just shocked even that he knew me like that. I don't know. I've been around the game. I was world champion and all that stuff. But in my heart, I was still that kid that always watched George Foreman come up. And, and it just, I was, it just, that was a great moment. My mom was there. I said, hey, would you mind taking a picture with my mom? He said, no, not at all. So I took a picture with my mom and one of my buddy's wives. And, you know, it was just, that, that was probably the best thing about that weekend. <laughs> no, it's great though. You know, he obviously remembered you right from, right from your first loss there, you know? All the way through. Right, yeah. That's excellent, man. Yeah. Seven months later, you were back in the ring boxing former world champion Verno Phillips in a non-title bout. Um, a strange a strange um, performance from yourself, really, that night. A unanimous loss over 10 at the Thunderbird Wild West Casino in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, yeah, you didn't really seem yourself that night, if, if I have to say so, Bronco. Well, you know... That was that was right at the point when I was um, starting to go through uh, divorce and uh, personal things like that. And to be honest with you, you know, it, 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 that that fight was it was an absolutely defining moment for me in this sense right here. When I got knocked down, and uh, I believe it was the second round, I think it was, um, got knocked down with a shot. And when I when 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 I was down, like it's amazing what can go through your mind in just a matter of seconds, right? I felt like 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 life was just over getting over for me before that fight even started. You know, going through a divorce and not sure about how your kids are going to end. You know, all that all that crazy stuff that goes on in your mind. So when I was on the canvas, I kept telling myself, if I, I didn't want to get up, not because I was hurt, I just wanted to quit. Not not boxing, just quit in life. You know what I mean? Like that was my that was my defining moment, getting off that canvas. And it wasn't defining for me as far as boxing goes. It was defining for me as a man and as a human being, and as learning how to step forward and continue on no matter how hard life gets. Because I felt like if I would have stayed down to ten, that would I would have just ended up giving up on life that night. So that 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 moment there was more than just like a boxing match you know it was it was a life fight but during that fight I think around the fourth round I busted my hand really bad in that fight I didn't end up uh breaking a bone but I ended up doing some damage to some tendons in the back of my hand where it was it was I think it was the eighth or ninth round I was I was almost physically sick in my corner my dad was like just let me stop the fight please I said dad this is one fight man I have got to make it to the end of this bell. <laughs> you know, there was more to it. So, yeah, it was a, it was a bad night. It was a good night for Verno, bad night for me. Yeah. But he, you know what? He he's a, he's a, he was another uh, just another classy guy. 
even came in my locker room after the fight. And he said, you break your hand. I said, I, I don't know if it's broke or not, but it's pretty, pretty hurt. He said, man, did you hit me with a right hook? And I think in the fourth round, he said, it jake me. And normally everybody knows you jump people when you do that. And he said, you didn't jump me. And I thought something's wrong. He said, I went back to my corner and told him his hands broke. I'm getting them. <laughs> so that's experience. He's been around, so he knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, you know, you gather another two wins before getting another title shot. This time the WBA title, the, the day October the 2nd at the Madison Square Garden in New York. Um, again, though, it wouldn't be your night, a loss unanimously over 12 to the young and undefeated 23-0 and Travis Sims. Um, what do you remember of that night there? He was kind of a guy that, you know, was, was a lot fresher. You know, he was coming through at a different kind of time, I suppose. Sure. I mean, I, I really felt going into that fight that I was going to beat him uh, hands down. I really thought I was going to beat Travis Sims just watching his fights and watching everything. And uh, But he, he fought a good fight that night. He changed his tactic after the – I caught him with a, a clean shot in the third round right at the bell, bucked him a little bit, and uh, his clean right hook. I think I cut him early in the fight too, right under his eye, the second or third round I cut him. But then after I hit him with that right hook, he changed his tactic and moved, started boxing a little more, and he, he just outboxed me. He, he fought a good fight, too. He was he was a little stronger than I really thought he would be. Um, he punched he punched pretty decent. I mean, never hurt me or anything in the fight, but just picking off the shots that I did, I was surprised. I didn't think he was uh, had that kind of pop in his punches. Yeah, I wonder what ever, ever really happened to him, because he, he didn't have the longest career, really. You know, He seemed to just disappear. And now he's in, uh, he's in politics. He's... Uh, He's he's a politician out in uh, wherever it is he lives. I just spoke to him not too long ago. Oh, great! Oh, excellent! I love again yeah, these paths yeah, that some boxers take. It's so so extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, he's doing well. Good to hear, man. Uh, again, you you bounce back with a win over Jose Spearman in an eight rounder before jumping in with Kelly Pavlik up at middleweight. Um, you were stopped for the first time in your career in in the sixth round. But tell us about that night there. I mean, Pavlik was a big guy for middleweight, man. Oh, he was huge. And, uh, you know, I, I told my dad um, when we were in the weigh-ins, just, just looking at him, I said, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to box this guy. I'm going to walk out here and just try to get him. He said, no, 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 we got to box him. I said, I'm not boxing. I said, he's just big, and I'm not going to try to move around on him all night long. I'm just going to go get him. So, and then we just went out, and we had, you know, for the, for the time that the fight went, um, it, was, it was a good, a good fight. Uh, I, I had um, – told my dad before the probably about two two weeks before the fight i'd actually got my ribs uh not bruised but detached in the gym sparring so for three weeks i had to tape like under my on my left breast i'd have to hold it up and put tape under it um in order to jump rope and uh be able to run and i, I really couldn't spar or anything for the last couple of weeks you know, and my dad was trying to tell me not to take the fight but i see i felt i felt pavic was young enough as far as skill wise inexperienced enough that I could that I could have beat him but man that guy could punch like he was the hardest puncher I'd ever been in the ring for sure that guy could punch like like nobody's business and um he caught me in about the fourth or fifth round of the body shot and it was like literally from where my ribs were already messed up it was like somebody took a uh, air hose but took it in reverse and just like sucked the life right out of you from that body shot and then that was it. I never. I just didn't recover. Yeah, it was. It was a good action fight while it lasted. But yeah, you're right. You know, Kelly Pavlik mm-hmm. is. Um, 
don't really hear his name mentioned amongst some of the some of the best fighters of of you know of that kind of era. But he deserves to be right up there. He's a tremendous fighter. We've had him on this show previously. Oh, yeah. um, you bounce back again with another two wins this time over Ted Muller and Clarence Taylor, and um, that's when the two back to back fights against Enrique Ornelas come come around. Now. You know, Enrique was a decent fighter. He, of course, went on to to eventually challenge for a world title twice. But the first fight ends in a split decision victory for yourself in Philadelphia. The second fight ended in victory for Ornelas um, at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas due to a corner retirement after five. I don't think I could find any footage on the second fight. But just from your perspective, tell us about those two fights there, the first and the second, Bronco. Um... Well, the it, I mean, the first fight was was a, was a really good fight. They, but I mean, I was I was getting I was getting older at this point. He he was young, um, an up and comer, and they brought me in to the fight in Philly to uh, you know to get beat, yeah, yeah. and I beat him on on a close fight, and um, then they you know wanted a rematch out in Vegas, and uh, so in that second fight, I told my dad we were in the locker room before the fight. I said I'm knocking him out of this fight. I said. Uh, I remember how he fought last night. He's open for a few things. And I went on first, first round, I dropped him pretty clean. And I, I mean, the way he fell, I didn't think he was getting up. Like he slumped, you know, it wasn't like a buckle or a stagger. It was a slump. I thought he's done. I walked to the corner. I was kind of smiling when he got up, finished the round and knocked him down again in the second round. And then, uh, he ended up breaking both of my eardrums is what happened. Both my eardrums got broken in that fight. I came back to the corner after was it the was it the fifth or the sixth round where I got stopped in the corner. I, I don't recall exactly. The, yeah, the fifth. It was the fifth. Yeah. Okay. Well, my I got he was he was he'd been down a couple of times. I had him pretty busted up. I mean, I thought I was controlling pretty good. My dad says, uh, "Why are you laying on the ropes?" I said, "Dad, I can't go to the center of the ring. I don't have any balance. I'm fighting off the ropes because both of my ear I could." Feel the air and the whistling going in and out of both of my eardrums from wild swinging shots that he hit me with. And then he said, "Both your eardrums are broke." Doctor says, "Your eardrums are broke." They look in and they, they they stopped fighting the corner. So it just that was it. I mean, there was really no. Uh, I really couldn't do anything after that. And then uh, I remember Shane Mosley came over to the corner after the fight. He said, "Did you break your hands or something?" I said, "Both my eardrums are broke." He said, I knew something wasn't right because you went from fighting one way to fighting a whole nother way. I said, yeah, I was using the ropes. I hold myself up. <laughs> man, oh, man. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And and three months later, you're back in the ring, this time against former world champion Raul Marquez. Now, we had Raul on last week's show, and um, he had a few things to say about that fight there. Tell us what happened from your point of view there. Obviously, it ended um, finally in a majority <laughs> draw. Uh. <laughs> Right. Uh, every time I see Raul, we go over this. So I tell him, Raul, I won that fight hands down, man. And he says he won the fight. And so we just go back. But what happened, what, how, it got, how it got to the draw point was when they were announcing the scores, cause I, I honest to God, I thought I thought I won the fight. I mean, there's fights I've lost where I can say, oh, yeah, the guy beat me. But that, that fight there, I thought I won that fight. I thought it was tight. I thought it was a good fight, but I thought I won the fight. Well, he felt the same way. And then uh, when they were announcing the scores, when they gave, I think it was the last score, my dad said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't even have that many points in a 10-round fight. Let me see them scorecards. 
So he goes over. He said, "What? What is this?" It was all scribble and this and that. And then, then the official said he he made mistakes on the scorecards. They went through correcting them, and it ended up coming out to be a draw. But it took three weeks for it to go through the whole process because we fought at a uh, casino on an Indian on an Indian reservation. You know, they're under a whole different set of uh, the way that they do things, law, rules and regulations and all that. But it ended up they ended up overturning it and making it a draw. But it didn't do anything. For me, I mean, so what? It was a draw. He he went on to get a, a nicer fight and then got to fight uh, Arthur Abraham after that for the world title. But like I told my dad, that wasn't a prize. <laughs> Getting to fight Arthur Abraham for the middleweight title at that age, I said, wasn't a prize for me. Ten years earlier, I'd have been great with it. But at that age, it would have been like, ah, not a big, not a big prize, quite honestly. It's good to get your side of that because, uh, yeah, he was uh... – <laughs> he had his side last week, um, which was interesting as well. Yeah, we go back and forth about it. We went on Facebook back and forth about it. Every time I see him, we go back and forth about it. But it's all in good spirit. I, I, I like Raul Marquez, another classy guy. Nothing uh, nothing but good things to say about him. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you returned nine months later and boxed former world champion Roman Karmazin, a 12-round unanimous decision loss for Udo in Inglewood, California. Um, what do you remember about that fight there, Bronco? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't remember too much about that fight to be honest with you. I it was just uh you know, I think the strangest thing about that whole fight to me was uh there was uh Stephen Bash was the guy's name. He was a promoter out of California and he's the one that got me to come out there and fight the fight. And uh, when we get out there it's like the whole card, everything was uh like Russian promotion. Like you know, all the fighters were Russian and against you know americans but it was like this whole thing and i said hey steve am i gonna get a fair shake out he said oh yeah 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 you're with me you're good you're fine <laughs> so this is the best part so the way in roman comes and walks in and he starts questioning something and he's speaking in russian or whatever i'm assuming that's the language and so i figured the russian promoter would have helped come out and steven bass goes over there and starts speaking to him talking to him just as plain as I'm talking to you in his language. And they go and fill everything out. Then the night of the fight, we get in the ring. And across the ring is that promoter and Bash. And Roman Camargo has got Stephen Bash promotions on his trunks and the other guy's promotions on his trunks. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens here. Uh, <laughs> we, we can see what we came. My dad wanted to leave the ring right then. He said, oh, they, they suckered us. That's what I remember about that fight. <laughs> but it was a good fight. It was nothing. It was nothing. You know, it wasn't any, no no barn burn or anything like that. It was just just a regular fight, nothing special. And of course, after that, you boxed a further seven times, winning five and losing two. The final fight was May thirtieth, twenty fourteen, six years ago this week. Um, you retire in the end, Bronco, with a record of fifty six wins, eleven losses, and a draw. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask was who was the hardest puncher you boxed? I thought you may say. Even perhaps Tony Harrison, but you said no, Kelly Pavlik for sure. Oh yeah, Kelly Pavlik. Yeah, no, no comparison. Yeah, no comparison. Night and day. Yeah. And no, Pavlik. Yeah, he had a, his punches felt weird. They were so hard. I mean, it was like they vibrated your body almost like you were getting electrical shocks or something. It was crazy. And I like to ask this question here. Uh, the best answer to this question is 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 no. Funny enough, but the the question itself is. 
Do you have any regrets about anything in your career, Bronco? Look, like I said, the best answer is no, but you may have some. If so, what are they? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that I do. Maybe, I guess my only regret would be is that I think I, I stayed around a little too long, no. um, but it was still in me. I didn't want to be the guy that retired and then said, oh, yes, I was out a year and then want to come back. You know, I just, I just, I did it all the way to the end. I did it, uh, you know, the way that I wanted to do it. But, you know, my whole career, there, there was a fight in Philly. I cannot think of the guy's name right now. It was, I think it was before the Glenwood Brown fight. I fought out in Philly and I fought at the Blue Horizon. And uh, I busted my left hand really bad Evans, in that fight. Like Richard Evans, that's what it was. I busted my hand in that fight in like the second round. And throughout my whole career from that time forward, it was never the same. And I just could never fight the way that I did up to that fight. It changed my whole career from that point forward and things that I had to do when I was on the inside where I would really get off good left uppercuts that I, I never could. I just didn't know if I should have had a surgery, but I did therapy. I did all that, but it never was right. Even to this day, um, it flares up every once in a while. It just it just never was right. And I think that bothered me. I don't know. It's something I could have changed, but that was one thing that always bothered me because it changed my whole style of fighting from that point forward because I used to love to get inside and bang it out and then I had to kind of change that once I busted my hand like that yeah because when you say there that you know you I was going to ask you this because you you know your answer to the question was you perhaps stayed around a little bit too long and my question was going to be at what point do you feel like you were on the slide but it it doesn't really sound like you were too much on the slide because obviously it was you know an injury with your hand you're not necessarily I don't know you know, too old at that point because it wasn't that long after you'd obviously lost your your world title at that stage. So, was there a period of time where you kind of felt yourself on the slide, on the way down, or was it really after you busted your hand that was really it kind of thing? Well, I mean, it, I mean, I still, I still won some 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 good fights and still worked my way into some major fights after busting my hand. But it was just. Yeah. It was like I I had to do it in a different way, and it wasn't the same for me. I was always get I was always getting, you know, had that that hand injury was always happening. When when I fought Kamaz and it, it hurt me so bad shadow boxing that I, I I it just hurt the shadow box. Just it was like a it was a tendon. It was it wasn't like a bone. That's what made it worse, I think. And then uh, but uh, you know, I tell you what is when you know it's time to retire. Here's here's when you know it's time to retire as a fighter. A when you start even thinking about it, right? mm-hmm. which I thought about it at the age of 35 and I stayed around until 43. But when you think about it and when there's days when you can find excuses as to, well, I don't need to go to the gym today. I can double up tomorrow. Or, you know, when you start missing, you know, your days at the gym and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's time to, when, when the fire's not there, when you just are not willing to, you know, you hear fighters say, man, I was willing to die in that ring. And there was a mindset where you really were when you were on top of your game because it was all about winning at any cost. And when you lose that, that passion, that desire, that willingness to get out of bed early, that willingness to put in them two to three day workout, when that's done, it's over, you know, and people don't, it can happen at any age, uh, you know, but I just think, I think you have to recognize it and realize it, but usually you won't, or you won't accept it. Yeah, no, that's honest of you to say so. I think um, 
Who was it who said the quote about it's very difficult to wake up in the morning when we're in silk pajamas? Who was that again? Was that um? Oh boy, I think that. Was, oh um, my was that gosh, Hitler, I forgot I who said. Maybe, maybe. Was it? It might have been. I, I don't recall. I, I think you might be right though. Yeah, if I've got that wrong, I'll, I'll definitely delete that out of this interview anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask you this as well, Bronco. Was there anyone you would have liked? to get the chance to fight but didn't get the chance to obviously you mentioned that Sugar Ray had um, had made the Fernando yeah. Vargas fight is that the fight or was there another fight you wish yeah. you to have I, w- I would have I would have loved I would have loved to yeah definitely I would have loved to mix it up with Fernando Vargas and, and I'll tell you what I would have he was still around I would have loved to mix it up with Terry Norris because he was still around when I was I was actually I was the number two in the WBC and number one in the WBO when we went to number we went the WBO route. I mean, just to at that time, actually, you know, Terry was kind of maybe a little on the downslide, and you know, I was I was I was the young line coming up. It would have just been great to climb into the ring with a guy like a Terry Norris, who's definitely a you know a Hall of Famer and, and just an all-time junior middleweight great in the history of the sport. And of course, I would have loved Fernando Vargas too. And you, 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 you said who your, you know, the biggest puncher was that you faced. Who do you feel was the best fighter that you faced? Oh, it would have had to been, it would have had to been Winky Wright. Yeah. I mean, all around, he just, he had, uh, he had everything. He had good defense, take a great shot, great stamina, beautiful jab. You know, I tell people you could never appreciate his jab unless you're on the end of it. <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't do it justice watching it on TV because his jab is dynamite. I want to ask you this as well. Obviously, there's that fantastic photo of you with the gloves on and the gloves were on fire. Um, how did that mm-hmm. come about, man? That's one of the best pictures. That's one of my personal favorite pictures in boxing, period. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, this, this, this guy around here who's a professional photographer, we wanted to get some, uh, you know, some publicity photos made. We went out to his house and he, uh, Put, put a piece of tape on the glove, some super glue, and lit it. And my dad was laying at my feet. And as soon as the pictures were taken, my dad jumped up and blew it out so it didn't ruin the gloves. <laughs> <laughs> that's a true story. <laughs> now that's amazing, man. And uh, just coming down yeah. to the final couple questions, really, Bronco, we've gone through everything pretty pretty speedily, I'd like to think. Um, I want to ask you, what, what are you up to these days? Obviously, you know, it's, it's been a while now. Since since you retired, what are you up to these days? What what gets you out of bed? What keeps you busy? Well, there's a couple of things that I do. Um, I'm a what's called a West District Supervisor for the Monroe County Road Commission. So I I supervise like uh, it would be seven townships and all the uh, different road work and different things that go on in in those townships. Um, I do real estate. Uh, I'm in my been to real estate for a couple of years, and I've been on the boxing commission. Uh, for the state of Michigan since uh, when I retired in 2014. Uh, I got appointed that year. In sep- I believe it was September or August of that year. I got appointed by the governor, and I've been on it for the last six years. And my term isn't up till 2022. I'm on my second term right now. Okay, interesting stuff. And um, I'd like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, Bronco. So put your thinking cap <laughs> on. Um, favorite UK fighter? Any era, who comes to mind? Favorite UK fighter? Boy, you are. You are. Uh, 
Man, you you you've had some. You guys have had some good ones. But when I when I'm thinking UK, um, is is uh, oh man, what's your what's your middleweight? The guy that uh, well, I liked Ricky Hatton. You shared a bill. I with definitely Ricky liked Hatton, Ricky. Didn't you once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked Ricky Hatton. Uh, would Prince Nassim Hamed would he be considered yeah, UK yeah, fighter? Yeah, yeah. Or no? We claim that. We claim I liked him, him for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked him, but I liked uh, uh, the the middleweight, the, the undefeated guy. Joe Calzaghi. Uh, oh yeah, Joe Calzaghi, man, hard to hard to go against that guy. Yeah. I, I liked him a lot. Yeah. Uh, he was he was a, he was a good fighter. And then you had uh, Nigel Ben, and then you had uh, Eubank. I mean, you, you you had some really good fighters. I, I liked I liked a whole bunch of guys from over that way. I don't know who I would say would be my favorite. If I had to pick one. I guess I'd probably just go with. Uh, I'd probably go with Hatton because I actually know him. So I'd probably go with Hatton. <laughs> yeah, very popular choices, very popular names. We get different ones all the time when I ask that. But yeah, all those guys are very popular for sure. Um, a fun fact I want to just throw in as well just before we, we, we end it. Um, on the 20th of May 1994, when you won the Michigan State welterweight title, it's never been fought for since. So you're still the reigning champion. Not quite sure if you're aware, but you're still the uh, the Michigan State welterweight champion, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, I definitely have to go around as the longest reigning one. Yeah. For sure, <laughs> twenty-six years and counting. <laughs> and just finally, Bronco, before we let you go, my friend, um, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners, I'm guessing you probably don't get um, many chances to interact, especially with your fans from this side of the pond. If you've got any message at all you want to send before I let you go, uh, now's the time to do so. Oh well, first I just want to just say thank you uh, for taking the time to. Uh, uh, you know, allow me to be interviewed. It's always still very humbling to me. I appreciate it. And I'm thankful for all the support and any of the fans overseas. And when I was fighting, I used to get letters um, uh, from overseas quite a bit. And I really appreciate all of you. So uh, just thank you so much. And just, just uh, I hope that everybody stays uh, safe and healthy. Well said, my friend. Well said. But listen, Bronco, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing your career this week. It really has. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the future, and I hope we can speak again real soon. Hey, me too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, and this wraps up episode 242 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. The former IBF junior middleweight world champion, Carlos Molina, has been with me for the duration of the show. Um, so all the best to him with his own show this Saturday. Um, the only live boxing event with names that we've actually heard of in, in the world during this whole thing so please tune into that if you get the chance um, and also of course a massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast the former WBO junior middleweight world champion Bronco McCart the biggest thanks of all though goes out to you the listeners thanks for sticking with us during this pandemic enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week <laughs>